do want to make mention of the fact that we express our appreciation to Jamie White for replacing the visitor signs out front. We appreciate him doing that. And we're grateful for all of you that help in so many different ways. We're going to be looking today at Psalm 130, the passage that was read a moment ago. Psalm 130. And we're going to be talking about the life of one who is burdened by sin. I was thinking a moment ago about the culture in which we live. And I guess you would say that the sin of our day is to call sin what it really is, sin. We live in a day and time when many people have minimized the effects of sin. As a matter of fact, sin is no longer viewed as a reality in this world. And yet the Bible talks about the fact that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Paul would write in Romans chapter 3, There is none righteous, no, not one. In Psalm 130, we have a picture of an unnamed individual who is battling the burden, the guilt of sin. So I want us to look at this psalm for just a moment or two, and I want to begin by, first of all, talking about the pain of the psalmist. And really, when you begin to read this psalm, you gain insight into the depth of his pain. And so, with that in mind, I want you to listen to what he says in verses 1 and 2. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. First, I think about the agony of his guilt. The psalmist, as I said a moment ago, is struggling with sin. And there are a lot of people in our world today that struggle in many, many ways with sin. And the effects of sin are so far-reaching. Sin and guilt can be demoralizing, debilitating. They can leave one disillusioned. Solomon wrote many, many years ago, the way of the transgressor is hard. So the psalmist here first speaks of his cry and then his call to the Lord. When he writes, out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord, the picture is that of one who is crying out from the depths of his soul. And the struggle again is with sin. And the agony that results from sinful actions. There are a lot of people today that are battling any number of sins, and they, like the psalmist, are living in agony. And I think about not just the agony of his guilt, but the fact that guilt can be an albatross. The albatross of guilt. And there are some things that maybe we ought to consider about the nature of guilt. 
Because guilt is the byproduct of sin. I would submit to you today that guilt can haunt you. We talk about the haunting effects of guilt. And the fact that guilt not only haunts the lives of many people, but it hurts the lives of a lot of people. And then, quite frankly, it holds them captive. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Back in Genesis chapter 42, you remember the story of Joseph. Joseph had been betrayed by his own brothers. They had sold him into the hands of the Ishmaelites and Midianites. And the Bible tells us he ended up down in Egypt, separated from his family, from the father that loved him. And you recall back in chapter 37, the Bible says that Joseph was the favored son. His father had given him a coat of many colors. And so his brothers sold him out and then deceptively they let their father believe that he had been killed by wild animals. Many years transpire. Joseph has now risen to prominence in the court of Pharaoh. He is second in command. And he had spoken of seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. When the seven years of famine came upon the land, Jacob, the father, Israel, sent the sons down to get grain for them. When they got down there, they stood before Joseph, and Joseph recognized them, according to verse 8. But they didn't recognize him. And so you can read the account. He wants them to bring their youngest brother to see. And so the Bible tells us that they began to say to one another, We are truly guilty concerning our brother. We saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear in verse 22. And so they said, therefore this distress has come upon us. Now you think about the many years that they have been bearing this secret among themselves. Many years they've been wrestling with the fact that they had sold their brother out. And they've been un operating under the guise that their brother is dead. They have misled their father. And so you talk about the guilt. They were haunted by what they had done. No doubt they were hurt by what they had done. And they were held hostage by what they had done, weren't they? I mean, you think about all of these years that have elapsed. And they're still wrestling with what they had done. And so the psalmist here says, Out of the depths I've cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplication. So you see the immense pain, the burden, the guilt that he's battling. But now note, if you would, the perception of the psalmist. Listen, if you would, to the perception of this wise man of long ago. And there are a couple of things here. First, he recognized the source of forgiveness. In verse 3, here's what he said, If you, Lord, should mark, or 
The footnote is, if you, Lord, should take note of our iniquities. The picture is that of a guard, a watchman, who is on vigilant patrol, and he is scrutinizing that which has been rendered under his care. And so the picture before us is that of God. It's as if God were taking note, scrutinizing every action, every thought, every deed. And just imagine, if God scrutinized every thought, action, and deed, but there were no forgiveness, wouldn't that be a hopeless situation? And so the psalmist said, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? In other words, we'd be hopeless, wouldn't we? But then look at verse 4. Here's the light. But there is forgiveness with you. There are a lot of things that we could say about the character and nature of God, but there is one thing that in this text stands out. And that is God is a forgiving God, isn't He? The psalmist recognized he was perceptive enough to know that there is a God. And He is the source of our forgiveness. So that's why he said, Lord, if you should take note of our iniquities, if you should mark iniquities, he answered, who could stand? But there's forgiveness with you. Did you know that we serve a God who has the ability, the power to redeem us. You can go back and look at many, many passages in the New Testament. And the Bible speaks of the redemptive work of God in Christ Jesus. The fact that not only do we enjoy redemption through the blood of Christ, but we have been re reconciled in the body of Christ. In Ephesians 1, 7, Paul said, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. When we are baptized into Christ and all of our sins are washed away as Peter announced in Acts 2 verse 38 and we stand in a covenant relationship with God we have the assurance that if we walk in the light as He is in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of His Son Jesus constantly cleanses us from all sin. 1 John 1, 7. And so there is this abiding sense that the blood of Christ is at work in our lives that we enjoy redemption made possible by whom? By the Lord. And then to know that there is reconciliation in His body. Paul said in Ephesians 2.16 that Jesus reconciled both Jew and Gentile in one body unto God through the cross. The Bible talks about the separation, the alienation that exists in the human family. When Adam and Eve transgressed the law of God in the Garden of Eden, they became separated from their Maker. And so the whole work of redemption is to bring the two parties together, the human family on one hand, the Godhead on the other hand, and Jesus Christ in the middle. And Jesus functions as our mediator. The Bible says there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all. So you think about Christ. Here he is at the cross. And he's bringing the two parties together. He is reconciling us together. Where does that reconciliation take place in the body of Christ? 
And so to know that God is the source of our forgiveness, and to know that we are truly, genuinely blessed because of this forgiveness. Now, there's another thought here. First, he recognized the source of forgiveness, and then secondly, his response to the Savior who forgives. Look again at verse 4. He said, there's forgiveness with you that you may be feared. What the psalmist is saying is, in light of your forgiveness, in light of the fact that you have graciously forgiven me, then my response to you is one of exaltation and two of glorification. In other words, why do we worship God? Why do we come together on the first day of the week? Well, one of the reasons is to remember the death of Christ. But don't we do so because of gratitude in our hearts? The psalmist said, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker in Psalm 95, 6. In other words, we come together to give God the homage He's rightly due. The word worship means worth-ship. To kiss towards, literally, that's what it means. And the idea is that God is worthy of our worship. And so we have the opportunity to come before God to express our thanksgiving, our gratitude, to exalt His high and mighty name to give Him the glory that He is due. In Colossians chapter 3, when Paul talks about our singing and worship, he said, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Our worship is directed upward, isn't it, toward God. Horizontally, we are teaching one another in our song service, but ultimately God is the aim of our worship. So we think about our exaltation of the Lord and our glorification. Why is it that we involve ourselves in the work of the Lord? Why do we do what we can to, to advance His cause? Because of what He's done for us. Isn't it the case that we have been saved to serve? We serve the Lord out of gratitude because of what He has done for us. The Bible tells us that we are His workmanship. That we are God's masterpiece. And He has created us unto good works. Ephesians 2.10 So, again, we've been saved to serve. We engage in the various works of the church. Why? Because of what the Lord's done for us. Out of gratitude. I want you to see a verse with me very quickly. Look at Titus chapter 2. I want you to look at Titus 2 for just one moment. And listen, if you would, to what Paul says. In verse 11, Paul writes, The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope, glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, 
that He might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for Himself His own special people, listen now, zealous for good works. Paul here could say, look, God has lavished upon us His grace, His matchless, marvelous grace. We have been the recipients of that. As a result of that, we're going to live a certain way. We're going to live soberly, righteously, and godly. And we're going to be living in a state of watchfulness, recognizing that the Lord Jesus could come at any time. Furthermore, we understand that because we've obeyed the gospel, that we now belong to the Lord, that we are His possession. And because we belong to Him, our goal is to glorify Him in our body and spirit, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. Because we belong to Him, we're zealous for engaging in good works. Why? Because Jesus said, when people are hungry and thirsty and naked, when they're homeless, when they're sick and in prison, and we minister to them, He said, you've done it unto me. So that's why we engage in the work of the church. That's why we're active. Now, there's a third thing I want you to see as we look at Psalm 130. We talk about his response to the Savior, his recognition of the source of forgiveness. But I want you to see another thing very quickly. It has to do with the provisions of the psalmist. Again, we're talking about here is somebody who has been broken by sin. And out of the depths, he's crying out to God for forgiveness. And so, he recognizes that with the Lord there is forgiveness. I want, to, I want to talk for just a minute about the compassion of the Lord who has the ability to help those who are hurting. You ever thought about that? You might be here today and you're hurting, not physically because of some type of ailment or disease, but you're hurting today because of the weight of sin, because of the agony of guilt, because it's like a millstone hanging around your neck. Can you imagine somebody going out in the middle of the sea, taking a block of concrete, strapping it around your neck, and then throwing you overboard? Where would you go? Straight to the bottom, wouldn't you? Well, what the psalmist is saying is, there's relief for those who are hurting. Did you know that the Lord, the Lord loves those who are hurting in their sins? Did you know that there are people today that if you were to ask them in a very candid way, does God love you? You know what they tell you? He doesn't love me. He can't love me. Why? Because I'm too bad. I've done too many bad things. There's no way a gracious God in heaven would ever reach out with love for me. You remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 6? When we were yet without strength, Christ died, listen to what he says, for the ungodly. 
Christ died for the ungodly. That's for people in sin. The Bible says, But God commendeth His own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, Paul said, Him who knew no sin, He became sin on our behalf. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God in Him. You see, not only does He love us, but God has the ability, the power to lift us up. When you read the Scriptures and you read the redemptive story of God, you know what God is saying about the human family? God is saying the human family has been broken. Broken by what? By sin. The Lord Jesus came to do what? To heal the brokenhearted, didn't He? To those whose lives have been fractured and frayed and disrupted and disillusioned by sin. And to know that God has the ability to lift us up. When Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he said, But God, who is rich in mercy for the great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has made us alive together with Christ. By grace are you saved. He's raised us up, made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. God's redemptive plan is such that it can change the life of a person. We talk about the evolution of somebody's life, and by that I simply mean here's somebody that has been in sin, but through Christ they're changed. Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Do we have the hope of life eternal in heaven? Yes, we do. But isn't there something here for us now? Yes, it's called an abundant life. What the Lord's saying is, look, I can give you a life that sin can't give you. I can give you some substance to your life. You may not have it in the world. You don't have it in the world. But in me, you can have it. And so, to recognize that, to recognize that there is a God in heaven who can help those who are hurting, who is compassionate toward those who are hurting. And then I think about the fact that God, that there is a God in heaven who has the ability, the power to cleanse those who may think they're beyond hope. Is that how you think? Is that how you feel today? Do you feel like you're a lost cause? No hope? Did you know that there are people on planet earth as we speak? They'll tell you, I'm a lost cause. It's hopeless. Well, the Bible does talk about people who are outside of Christ Paul said, they're without hope. And the reason they're without hope is because they're without God. But again, think for a moment about why Christ came to earth. He came to save, didn't he? I want you to listen, if you would, to what the psalmist says. Look at verse 7. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy, and with Him is abundant redemption. Do you remember what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 1 when he talked about his previous life as a Jew? He said, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, 
a haughty or insolent man. He said, how be it I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And then he said, and the grace of our Lord, listen to him, was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. You know what he's saying? He's simply saying that God in His marvelous, matchless grace, in, his, in the abundance of His provisions. He had a place for me. In Romans chapter 5, verse 20, here's what Paul said. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. All he's saying is, look, you're not a lost cause. You're not in some hopeless predicament. Now, are there situations in life when real world, reality check, are there situations in life when it is a lost cause? There are things that aren't going to get better. It's bleak, dismal. Yes. Not so when it comes to redemption. Not so when it comes to what God can do for you in this life. It's called transformation. The Lord can transform your life. It's called a new birth. In John chapter 3, Jesus talked about that new birth. I promise you this, there are people today, if you were to write up the contract and say, I'll tell you what, I'll give you the opportunity to start all over. Let me tell you, there'd be a lot of folks that signed that contract, wouldn't they? Where do I sign? You know what Jesus is saying in John chapter 3, when you obey the gospel, you get a new start in life. Listen to him. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus thought he was talking about a physical birth. He asked the question, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? The answer is no, he can't. Not possible. Physically, you can't be born again. But you can have the new birth spiritually. You can obey the gospel and have a new start. That's why he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He's simply saying that when we come to the understanding that we're in sin and that without Christ we're lost and we need to obey the gospel, and that when we respond in faith and obedience to the gospel plan of salvation, we have that new start, don't we? Imagine if you would living in Corinth. Corinth was a moral, really it was a cesspool of evil, filled with idolatry and immorality. And you've got people that are living despicably. And yet, here's Paul, he goes to the city of Corinth, spends 18 months there preaching the gospel to them. And the Bible says, many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were what? They were baptized. Well, why were they baptized? That they might be washed, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. That they might be sanctified, that they might be justified. So what, what's the Lord saying to us? He's saying to us, we're not, a, we're not a lost cause. It's not hopeless. There may be some things going on in your life, maybe physically speaking. Physically. Can't do anything about. Spiritually, doesn't matter where you are. If you have a receptive heart, if you have, as Jesus would say, an honest and good heart, let me tell you what. When that seed is planted in the heart, it'll bring forth fruit, won't it? It'll sprout. And so, 
The psalmist said, O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy. With him is abundant redemption. Now listen. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. I understand that we go back in time. We talk about the period of the patriarchs. That period when people lived under the Mosaic economy. And they offered sacrifices in anticipation of the coming of the Redeemer who would forgive men and women in an absolute sense. But the psalmist here is saying, the Lord, He can redeem Israel from all, A-L-L. Can God forgive you of all your sins? You know what the answer is? Yes, He can. Doesn't matter what it is. It might be that you feel like, you know what, I'm just too deep in sin. Not so. You might have the feeling that you're too distraught because of all that you've done. You're so distraught. You just can't see a ray of hope. Let me tell you what, there's a ray of hope. That hope is in Christ. The hope is that you will come to the one who can forgive you. There's a great passage of Scripture found in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12. I want to close by citing it. The Hebrew writer talking about this dispensation of time under which we now live. He said, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. Two things you need to remember. Number one, whatever your sin may be, wherever you may be, you might be burdened like the psalmist. and You're living under the agony of guilt. You feel like you have this albatross around you, this weight it's pulling you down, and you're grieving because of guilt in your life. You need to understand, number one, God will forgive. He has that ability. On Pentecost Day, when Peter preached, and we have a record of that sermon in Acts chapter 2, when he preached the gospel for the first time, the Bible says they were cut, they were pricked in their hearts. And they cried out and said, what shall we do? Peter said, Repent, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Listen to him, for the remission of sins. That is for forgiveness. You can go back and read Acts chapter 2, the narration of the sermon. He indicted those people as doing what? Killing the Son of God. If the very people that had a part in crucifying Jesus could be forgiven, don't you think you can be forgiven? You're struggling with alcohol, with drugs. You're struggling with secret sin in your life, whatever it may be. I'll tell you what, God will forgive you. Not only will He forgive, but He will forget. The Hebrew writer said, Their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. In other words, I'm not going to bring them up again. I'm not going to dredge it up from the past. And every time you come before me, I'm not going to flash it on the screen about what you did, what you said, where you've been, all this kind of I'm not going to do that. No, what God's saying is, what's in your past is in your past. Is there an answer to someone who is burdened with sin? The answer is yes, there's an answer. The answer is Jesus. So if you're here today and you believe Jesus to be the Son of God, and you want to be liberated, you want to be liberated from sin, because it imprisons Here's what you need to do. Believe Jesus is the Son of God, John 8, 24. 
willingly confess what you believe in your mind, in your heart, with your mouth. Confess Jesus to be the Son of God. Repent of all your sins. Be buried with Him in baptism, rising to walk in newness of life. Have your sins washed away, just like Saul did. And then live faithfully. Understanding you're not perfect, you'll never be perfect. But if you're living and walking in the light, the assurance is the blood of Jesus constantly at work in your life. If you're here today and maybe you've left, left the Lord for the world, and you have in your mind this idea that, you know what, I'm just too far out there. So far out, there's no way the Lord could reel me back in. That's not true. The Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, hope for you too. Won't you come as we stand and sing?